expansion to glorify you. And yes. Fill it with new people to hear yeah. the gospel. Yes, Father. Guys, that should bless this day and the rest of the week. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Go ahead and get in your Bible to Matthew 22. Matthew uh, 22. Anybody have those parenting surveys that you filled out that you need to turn in? Anybody have those? All right. It uh, looks like it's about usual where uh, just over half of you took the time to fill that out and turn it in. It's good to know that we're neither superior nor inferior to the way it's been in the past, though I can remain hopeful. <laughs> uh, Matthew 22. Uh, as always, uh, we begin with uh, some of your questions. And as always, uh, some of these questions are from the past. Some are from this time. And uh, I, again, I want uh, you to feel free to ask. Applying the things we talk about is really, really uh, important. That's why you have that little white paper so that you can fill out uh, a question at the end and turn it in. Uh, question number one, even though we need to lay down God's law, is asking our child what he thinks okay or wrong. Uh, first thing I would say is there's a big difference uh, because our last couple of weeks have been on obedience, uh, the importance of obedience, and then how to teach our children to obey. There's an important distinction you need to make as a parent, and that's the difference in God's laws and your household laws. Uh, God's laws are from the Bible. Our household laws are reflective of our household, and so they vary. Uh, sometimes our household laws are a reflection of a Bible principle. Sometimes it's just a reflection of, hey, this is where our family does something. And so what I would say is be careful that you don't, uh, don't fail to make a distinction between enforcing God's laws and enforcing your household laws. There's really no bending on, on what God's laws are and that you need to enforce them. Uh, but you have a little more flexibility on your household laws. Um, what I would say to the specific question is my personal opinion is that especially as your child grows older, I think it's good for them to be able to respectfully express their view. Um, not disrespectfully as a three-year-old, but as they get older, I, I think that's good. See, the issue is never going to be, do they have an opinion uh, of, about what should be done to them? They're always going to have one. The, the issue is whose opinion will prevail when their opinion differs from yours. And probably when it comes to discipline, it's always going to be different from yours. So just like I said last week, make sure that when the battle is a battle of wills, make sure you win that battle. Um, again, I myself don't find any problem with a child respectfully asking uh, or uh, a question or expressing their opinion. But you still need to do what you need to do. Uh, question number two, our son is slightly autistic and very rules-based. When things don't go his way, he yells things like, I hate you or you're not my boss. How do I establish parental authority? Uh, first thing I would say is be really careful uh, criticizing what I would call rules-based parenting, you know, depending on what you, you mean by that. Um, because in the end, as a parent, you're not placed there uh, just to raise your kid any way you want to raise them. You're placed there by God to raise them the way God wants them to be raised, and, and God has some rules. 
and you, that's why you're there. The second thing I, I would say is that every kid needs some structure. Uh, some children need more structure than others. And among the children who need a lot of structure are children uh, who would be on the autism scale, children who have uh, issues, you know, with attention. Uh, There's some children, they will thrive and mature and be okay in a looser environment. But most kids not, and especially not someone who is on the uh, autism scale. Uh, I got this sentence underlined. Lined. You must first produce the kind of environment your child needs and deal with them the way they need to be handled. See, you might by nature be really chilled and not very structured. And if you're going to, as a parent, pretend that that's the environment your child needs to thrive, you're not going to parent your children well. If your children, every child needs some structure, some children need a lot of structure. And if your child is one of those, if you're going to parent them well, you're going to have to work through your natural disposition issues to produce a structured environment. Be what they need. Consistency is always valuable, but especially with... uh, Special needs children. Question number three, what if you don't have that instant, quote, instant connection with a new baby? Um, the first thing I would say is I think our culture puts, you know, too much emphasis on that. I mean, nowadays, you know, they lay the baby naked on the mother's chest to bond, and they sometimes even dads take off their shirt, and they let the baby and the dad. And uh, You know what? If you want to do that, fine. I, I, I don't myself... I don't put a lot of stock in that making uh, much difference, but if you want to do it, uh, do it. Uh, Here's what I will say, is that we're all very different emotionally. And some people, by their nature, they make quick emotional connections with their children. Uh, Other people, uh, it's not like that. And when you're critical of yourself or of other people for not connecting with a child in the same manner, at the same rate you do, that's really not very wise. Uh, What I believe is that God gave every human being a conscience and that a part of every human conscience is this desire for a relationship with your parent. And so I really believe that if you don't have this, quote, instant connection, that if you just do what you're supposed to do, which is pray for the child, spend time with the child, uh, you're going to build that connection. And and so I don't personally have uh, any issue with, uh, listen, most dads don't build an instant connection with an infant like a mom does. You know, you may not agree with this. I personally believe that nursing a baby is one of the things that God designed that helps build that connection. You know, now whether you want to do that or not, again, that's between you and God. Uh, The important thing is you build a connection. And I, I think, you know, guys... You might need to work on it some. I, I remember, uh, I guess Josh was about 18 months old, and we were going on vacation. And I remember praying really, really hard before we left that God would knit my heart to his. I felt like I wasn't as connected to him as I really wanted to be. Was I connected? Of course. 
I changed his diapers. I, I got up with him. I, I did all kinds of things, but I wanted more. And so if you have some concerns like that, uh, pray about it and make the time and get off everybody else's back if their rate of connection isn't like yours. Question number four, what do I do when I'm a single parent 95% of the time and I get exhausted winning the battle of wills? Uh, what, what I would say is that um, there are a lot of men who are not as participative in the parenting process as they should be. Okay, uh, and there is an occasional a time when that, when that happens to a mom too. It's just a lot less frequent. Uh, there are a lot of other times when you know it, it isn't something that's intentional. Sometimes it's a man's work schedule versus the child's schedule. You, you know, listen. A lot of you you say, "I, I wish my husband made one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars a year." Now you really now if your husband was an executive and making that, you really want him working sixty hours a week. Okay, that's what happens. We, we want that income, but we don't want, you, you know, the things that 95% of the time come, come, come with it. And, and, and so uh, the Bible promises sufficient grace to all of us. And so whatever your task is, if you're a Christian, you have sufficient grace. What sufficient grace is, it means just enough. What that means is that all of us, at times, we're going to feel at the end of the rope. At times, we're going to be feel tired. At times, we're going to feel like it's too much. But in the end, what you do is you just get up and you do what you're supposed to do. And somehow, you have the grace of God to get through it. And someday, if Christ tarries, you'll look back and you say, I don't even know how we did that. Um... What I would say also, I don't know if this is written by a mom or not, but I've seen moms shut out a dad from participation and discipline and then wonder why he's not involved. And you say, what do you mean by shut out? I mean just look over his shoulder, correct everything he's doing and not doing, and what you're subtly doing is you say, hey, you know what, I don't want you in this process if you don't do everything like I want. And so just be careful. Question number five. Um, and I'm assuming this question was tongue-in-cheek, uh, but it's what gives you the right to tell us how to parent our children? Um, like I say, I'm assuming this is tongue-in-cheek, but it, it really made me think, and, and um, it, it allows, it, this question just allows me to remind everybody of a couple of things. I mean, God trusted you to raise your children how he wants them raised. I have no right to tell you what to do in your own home. You are the authority from God in your own home. Uh, on the other hand, God did give us an inspired book and call and gift me to do what I'm doing here. And so I have every right to teach Bible principles and make reasonable applications of those things to try to help you in your task. Now, quite frankly, you can take my advice or leave it. But you do have to admit that if you look around us in the world, uh, there is a lot of messed up parenting going on. A lot. And there's a lot of messed up parenting going on in the church. A lot. And so while it is your right to do what you want to do, you would be far wiser to just say, do you know what? Um, 
maybe I ought to just decide I don't know the answer to everything and get some godly counsel. That's what you're doing. By the way, I commend you for being in here and doing that. I, and I, I don't do a lot in Facebook, but I remember somebody putting in some question about some, something and then somebody responding, uh, just follow your mommy instincts. And, and, and that sounds like good advice unless you pay attention to the Bible. Uh, everybody's heart, including a mommy's heart, is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. And so if you're not honest about your own heart like that and try to get outside influence to help you, you know, you may regret it. Here's, here's what I would say, make your goal as a parent. No regrets. I know, uh, I think most everybody in here, their children are still young. I mean, I, I see so, some people, they have their children are young teenagers, uh, some older teenagers. Y y you know what? It's easy when your children are young or you don't have children yet. You say, my kids will never do that. I, I honestly think it's the dumbest thing parents ever say, and I've heard it a hundred times. A hundred times. What I would say to you is parent your children so that if, God forbid, they make bad choices with your li their life, you never look back and say, you know what, I, I wish I would have, and then you fill in the blanks. No regrets. Uh, somebody said the best inheritance a parent can leave their children is some of their time. Uh, each week, a couple just random thoughts on parenting. Here's the first one. Be very careful where, when, and how you intervene in your child's relationships with other children. I want, to, I want you to let that sink in. All right? Don't micromanage your children's relationships. Most things are better settled in kitty court. Here's the second thing. Make sure your example is consistent with your message. Here's the third thing. Your children have just as much of a free will as you do and did as a teenager. I think most of us are glad for our free will and lament the free will our children have, particularly the free will they have as a teenager. Just remember it. Uh, we're on week four of 13 weeks. Uh, I appreciate you coming to class. We have a lot of people that uh, actually listen to this through our podcast and watch it on, on YouTube. Uh, so for anybody, whether you're here or listening, I'm glad. I don't pretend to have all the answers. Uh, I've seen a lot. I've been through a lot, good and bad. I really want to help you. Uh, Sharon and I were not perfect parents. Our children were not perfect kids, nor are they perfect adults. But by the grace of God, you know what? I can look back, and Sharon can too. I don't have any major regrets of how we parented our children. Do I have things I wish I would have done differently? Yeah. But thank God I have no major regrets, and that's my heart's desire for you. Remember, the basic question is, does God know more about what my child needs than I do? And if the answer to that is yes, and it is, then the most important thing we do is find out what God said to us about raising our children. Uh, we spent uh, 
two weeks talking about the most important thing to teach our children, uh, how to obey uh, rightful authority. Remember, if they don't learn to obey rightful authority, they will not have a blessed life with God. They will not have any success in the church. They will not have any success in the school. They will not have healthy relationships in the home. They will not do well in society. They will not do well in the workplace. If you and I do not teach them to obey rightful authority, they will fail in all those areas, which brings us to today's subject. What is the second most important thing to teach our children? How to have healthy relationships. <laughs> Hear me when I say no amount of success in life will counterbalance the pain and suffering of broken and unsuccessful relationships. I don't care how big of a house they have. I don't care how big of a nice of a car they drive. I don't care how much money they have. I don't care what their position is. If their life is filled with key relationships that are broken, they're going to live a painful life. I mean, all over this room are people who would say, do you know what? My teen years, my young adult years, the early parts of my marriage, they were made much more difficult because no one told me or taught me how to have a healthy relationship. And so understand, this is a really important thing to teach our children. You should be in Matthew chapter 22. Uh, Matthew chapter 22, verse 35. Then one of them, which was a lawyer, asked him, Jesus, a question tempting him and saying, Master, which is the great commandment in the law? Jesus said unto him, Thou shalt love the Lord thy God with all thy heart, with all thy soul, with all thy mind. This is the first and great commandment. Now, before we go on, according to Jesus, of the 613 commandments in the law of, of Moses, what's the most important one? Love God. Love God. That's the most important commandment. Hear me when I say all healthy relationships flow from a healthy relationship with God. Now, some people may have good relationships, though they don't have God in their life, but it is still always by principles for healthy relationships that God established. Um, notice as Jesus goes on, he's going to answer more than the question he was asked, but he says in verse 38, the, uh, 39, and the second is likened to it. Thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. Notice the most important relationship is God. And secondly, the second most important relationships is the relationships with people. Remember, as a general rule, any commandment in God that's a negative commandment, God says, don't do this, don't do that, don't do this, don't do that. Whenever we break a commandment where God says, don't do something, there is always a negative consequence in our life. To the best of my knowledge, 100% of the time, when it is a positive commandment, when you break that positive commandment, in other words, God says, love the Lord. God says, love your neighbor. When you don't do that, you miss blessings from God. When you do something God says don't do, you bring negative consequences in your life. When you fail to do something God said we should do, you miss blessings. In other words, it is a blessing to us to love God, and it is a blessing to us to love our neighbor, to have healthy relationships with people. 
Have you ever really thought about this? I mean, most of our culture is built on evolution, but nobody builds a healthy home, a healthy marriage, or a healthy friendship on survival of the fittest. Or make sure you do what's best for you. I mean, is that not the, is that not the best, is that not the message of our culture? We've all known people who don't know the Lord, but yet they have some good relationships. We've all known them. Because without the Lord, because remember, they're made in the image of God just like we are. They have a conscience, and from their conscience and just good sense, they treat people in a manner, God says treat people, and though God isn't in their life, they still have some good relationships. Sadly, we've also known people who know Christ. They're saved. God is in their life. But their relationships are all a wreck. Because though God is in their life, they do not handle people the way God said handle people. What, what a tragedy. Listen, there, there are saved people who have terrible marriages, saved people who can't get along with any friends, saved people who can't get along in the church, saved people whose life is just one broken relationship after another. What a tragedy. Now, some churches have this focus out of order. They basically, more than anything, try to teach you how to be a good person, how to be a good citizen. But in the end, by and large, healthy relationships with people flow from a healthy relationship with God. We're not taking time to study it, but did you notice the three aspects of uh, of where God's, our love for God falls from verse 37. It says, love the Lord thy God with all thy heart. That's your emotions. With all thy soul. Uh, sometimes that word is translated life. That's with your life, with your personhood, with your personality. Love God with all thy mind. That's what you think, how you believe. And in Mark, there's actually a fourth thing added that Matthew didn't uh, include. He said, with all thy strength, that's with the things we choose to do. See, love for God is not just an emotion. Love for God is an emotion. Love for God is a way we handle our life. Love for God is a way we use our strength. Love for God is a way we think and believe. And sadly, a lot of people struggle and their relationship with God and people. Hear me when I say a healthy relationship with God and healthy relationships with people is available to everyone. As a parent, training our children to have healthy relationships begins with helping them have a healthy relationship with God. That's how it begins. Which brings up the question I want to cover today. How can I teach my children to love God? How can I teach my children to love God with all their heart, all their soul, all their mind, and all, all their strength? Now think about this. When we just spent time on teaching our children to obey authority, we can force someone to obey, at least to a degree for a while. But you can't force someone to love. And so while we can force our children to obey God, we can't force them to love God. We're going to have to motivate them to love God. And of course, like in everything, we most 
teach our children by our example more than we teach them by our words. And that is especially true when it comes to a relationship with God. Have you ever thought about this? A child is supposed to love God too. The greatest commandment is not just, well, if you're over 16 or you're over 18 or you're over 21, love the Lord thy God with all thy uh, heart and all thy mind and all thy soul and all thy strength. That's not the way it is. Uh, Everybody, a child who's saved should love God. Now, a child's love for God doesn't look like a mature adult's love for God. It's kind of like two teenagers love each other. And you compare that to a couple who's been happily married for 50 years who love each other. Do they both love each other? Yeah, but it's kind of like an eight-ounce glass of orange juice and a half a gallon of orange juice. It's the same thing, just more. There's some aspects, and for those of you, you know, who've been married even four or five years or ten years, there's a way that your love for that person has deepened Uh, ideally, as you have gone through uh, the difficulties of of life. And how can I teach my children to love God? They can. Here's the first way. Here's where we begin. Number one, begin by teaching your children God exists. Uh, No one can love God who doesn't believe in God. No one can believe in God who is not confident he exists. The existence of God is so clear that the Bible says the fool has said in his heart there is no God. Now, believing that God exists comes naturally to a child. In fact, in every child's heart, by from God, there is a gap somehow in their heart and their conscience and who they are as a person as God designed them that naturally will believe in God. And without biblical instruction, either to become an atheist or to believe in the God of the Bible, man always makes its own, his own God. The sun, the moon, the alligator, a lion, a cow. Yeah, I mean, whatever it is, man will always make a God. It's in man. And you and I, as parents, we begin to teach our children to love God by acting like God exists. You say, well, this is pretty basic. No, you know what? It's pretty easy to say we believe God exists and then conduct our life in a manner that doesn't reflect that we believe he exists. I've had a lot of parents. In fact, I had one just this last week. I don't remember where I was. I was at one of the uh, Backyard Bible Club's site who, and the mom was bragging to me. She said, well, we're just taking our, our kids to all kinds of different churches, make up their own mind. And I've had parents say to me, hey, uh, you know, we, we just if our kid wants to believe in God, fine. I'm not getting in the middle of that. Stop. 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 Don't delegate God's existence to Sunday school teachers, to a pastor, to somebody else. They're not there to teach them things you don't teach them. They're there to teach them the same things you're teaching them. To come alongside you. See, how can I teach them God exists? Live your life in a manner that reflects that. Uh, How about this? Treat the things of God with respect. Listen, they can see the church. They can see the Bible. They can see marriage. They can see home. These are things that God is directly uh, involved in. 
Uh, pray before meals, pray at bedtime, pray before important events and decisions, like it's just the natural thing you do. Treat the Lord's day with respect. It's not just a family day. Without fanfare or just talk about what God means to you. Talk about how you were saved. Talk about how God's word impacts your decisions. See, to most people, what our children are learning from everyone else is either that God doesn't exist or that if God does exist, he's kind of like the spare tire in your car and that if something bad happens, you break God out and then you use God and then when everything is better, you put God back in the trunk. Listen, that's what everyone else is teaching them. You, by your example, must teach them that God exists and that uh, it impacts everything you do. That, that is the beginning of teaching them to love God. Because before anyone will believe in God or love him, they must believe he exists, exists and that starts with you. Here's the second thing. Uh, make God a priority in your life. Uh, is God Lord? <laughs> well, he is. Do you treat him that way? You see, making God a priority is a step up from believing he exists. It's a way we work up toward treating them loving God. Uh, so what do you mean? How about stop acting like it's a bad inconvenience to do whatever you do for the Lord? We got to go to church. Yeah, my turn in nursery. Yeah, vacation Bible school week. Such a hard week. Oh, church is so nice out. Listen, every one of those things is demonstrating who God is to you. Say, Brother Wally, don't you ever in your heart have gripes about the difficulty of, of ministry? Of course. Just keep my mouth shut. Because my heart isn't any better than yours. It's deceitful and desperately wicked. It's fickle. And my heart doesn't always want to do what it's supposed to do. How can I make God a priority in my life? Uh, take time when they're younger at the end of the day to pray with them. Tell them a Bible story. Teach them biblical laws and principles. When they get older, uh, get them up. When our children were young, uh, in the evening, I would tuck them in. I would always uh, tell them a Bible story, and I would have a prayer with them. Uh, when they were older, uh, we made them get up 15 minutes early before school. Uh, we read the Bible together. Say, how much did you read? We went around three times. So there was uh, five of us, so 15 verses. So that's all you read? Uh, you know what? Read more if you want. I just always felt like, man, if they're in Sunday school, Sunday morning church, Sunday night church, Wednesday night church, they don't need 40 minutes from me every morning. They, they need to learn how to read the Bible for themselves. They need to learn how to pray for themselves. They need to watch Sharon and I apply what we heard all the time. Uh, how do I show them God's a priority? Uh, like when we went on vacation, as soon as we get on the highway, uh, we would always take turns praying. Uh, we'd start with Caleb, and then Josh, and then Wall, and then Sharon, and then me. Uh, by the way, I was driving, I kept my eyes open. Pray before meals, pray in restaurants. Uh, when you're in a place uh, where 
Uh, it's inconvenient to pray. For instance, at my in-law's house, nobody prayed. Uh, and I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to be, you do whatever you want, but I, I'm not, I, I, I'm not trying to jab everybody with a knife. Hey, say, all right, kids, come over here. We're going to pray. I didn't do that. Uh, my kids did whatever they did, and they watched me bow their head, bow, bow my head. Sometimes I would bow my head, and I would just begin my prayer, God, give me courage to bow my head. Because I'm no different from you. And didn't like the negative feelings that would be expressed toward me and my children because they would say, well, who's he think he is? But I'm acknowledging my God, and, and, and our children could see me bow my head. Um, show them God is a priority in your life. Listen. Nobody ever loves God if they don't believe he exists. Nobody ever loves God if they don't take the next step and see that God is a priority. L listen, very, have you ever really thought about this? Very little of our week is actually in church. If you come every time the door squeaks, you're here about four and a half hours a week. If you had some travel time and you chatted some before or after service, you're here about 10 hours a week. Most of us are awake between 112 and 126 hours a week. If you sleep eight hours, you're awake 112 hours. If you sleep six hours, you're awake 126 hours. You really only got about 10 involved in church. <laughs> By the way, what that means is there's a lot more time. They're watching us outside of here. Here's number three. Go back to Exodus 10. This is a little bit more difficult. But again, we're working through this process of how to teach our children to love God. By the way, and I'm going to preach on this at 11 o'clock, not everybody that believes in God loves God. And uh, it's two different things. You believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to be saved. Uh, if you, loving God is a choice a believer makes. Most believers have never made that choice. You say, why? Jesus said, if you love me, keep my commandments. But I, I, I think I share what most people here would say. Uh, I want to love God, and I want my children to love God. I want their relationship to be God, with God to be more than, hey, I'm just coming to see my family. I, I want them to love God. And this part here is an essential part of that. In Exodus chapter 10, verse 1, it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, for I have hardened his heart and the heart of his servants, that I might shew these my signs before him. And I've got this next thing circled in, in my Bible because it's a key principle. It says, uh, And that thou mayest tell in the ears of thy son and of thy son's sons, what things I have wrought in Egypt and my signs which I have done among them. Did you hear what God said to teach your children? God said, teach them what I did in Egypt. Say, so why is that so significant? Think about what God did in, in Egypt. God sent insects and hail mingled with fire that destroyed the crops of people who made their living from that food. God destroyed 
the firstborn of anybody who didn't put the blood on the posts. Teach your kids that. Teach your kids that for 400 years you were a slave in Egypt. Teach your kids that. Teach your kids that uh, the Egyptian army, when they followed you out, I drowned them all in the Red Sea. (laughs) Here's number three. Defend who God is and what God does as he is. Present all the attributes of God instead of the ones you like best. Here's what I think we do. I think because we're afraid, some, well, it depends. We have parents on both sides of this. Some parents, they're afraid that their kids aren't going to like God, and so all they do is talk about the love of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and, and those kinds of things. And then we have this other set of parents who are so afraid that if they teach their children that God rescued the thief uh, and his dying breath and that God welcomed the prodigal son home, that, that, that our, our children well, they won't be afraid to sin. And so you got one group of people and all they do is teach about the hardness and toughness of God and another group of people who all they do is they teach about the softness and the goodness of God. And if you're on either side of that, you're gonna give your child a warped view of God. Listen, it doesn't matter if they love a God that it's not the real God. That's idolatry. What matters is, is that we teach them who God really is because our goal is to believe and follow and love God as he really is. And so what you and I are going to have to do, we're going to have to teach them every aspect of God and we're going to have to defend what he's doing. Listen, you're not going to handle your children very long before you're going to be saying something Like, you know, I don't know what God's doing here, but I trust him. But I trust him. And that's what I would say to you. No matter what goes on, just teach your children, I trust him. I trust him. The goal of successful parenting is not a good child, though we want good children. Lots of things produce good children. Many of the things that have produced good children don't produce good adults. Our goal is a functional, independent adult with their own faith. Amen? All right. Next week, we'll talk about one more thing about our relationship with God and then begin to talk about how to teach them to have good relationships with people. You should have a little card. Write something on that, even if it's tongue-in-cheek. Some of those questions make it in here, too. Uh, Somebody complimented me on my hair. Thank you very much. Uh, I I work hard on it uh, all, all the time. But write something in there. Fold it in half. Stick it up here. Thank you. God bless you. You're dismissed.